I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, listener. This is Reese James, the host of Early Work. Wait, this is the podcast you're listening to right now. I don't know. Why would you click on it then if you don't? Anyway, um, I'm here to tell you that the tour that uh, I had had been on for a while has resumed. It resumes in February. Tickets are back on sale for that tour. It had to be postponed. We were about three quarters of the way through the tour, and then it had to be postponed because, um, let me be the first to tell you, there's a pandemic going around at the moment. But we've now uh, resumed it. We're going to do some shows in the spring, in February and March, that are going to be reduced capacity shows uh, that are socially distanced, just in case. And those are in Sheffield, Cambridge, Canterbury, Oxford, Bristol and Nottingham. There will be a couple of shows a night. Tickets are sort of available. Uh, and then um, where the tickets are really available is in the summer, May and June. We're doing some shows that are planning to go ahead as normal. Fingers crossed that this vaccine works. And they are in Leeds, Liverpool, Salford, Swindon, London and Norwich. So go and get your tickets. There is a chance that I will be deleting this intro to a podcast and claiming that those summer shows were also meant to be socially distanced i don't want to have to do that so go and get your tickets here's the podcast get your tickets here's the podcast now though but get your tickets get your tickets Welcome to another Early Work, the podcast in which I ask guests to bring the creative writing of their youth, for me, the nation's little brother, to judge, before I put my tail between my legs and stand down from the bench to read something from my own embarrassing and tragic childhood. This week's guest is the phenomenal Katie Wicks. You've probably seen Katie in Not Going Out, or Anna and Katie, her sketch show from a few years ago, or Ghosts, or probably the best British sitcom of the last decade, Staff Let's Flats phenomenal show if you've not seen that it's so funny you've got to find it it's on all four and probably hulu uh, in this episode she gives us one of the weirdest red nose day experiences with the teacher ever she tells me i look like every welsh boy she went to school with and she reads a variety of poems from the light with sort of spike milligan style jauntiness to roast battle type one-liners to the dark and twisted philip larkin level shit all the way to the naively romantic with one of the most teenage lines of poetry in l'histoire Plus, I get one of my predictions of what she was like at school. So insanely bang on, it's almost biblical, and she absolutely doesn't give a shit. So here it is, the early work of Katie Wicks. Joining me on this week's early work is Katie Wicks. Hello, Katie Wicks. Hey, hello. Um, For those of you who don't know, Katie Wicks is probably best known for the fact that me and her have identical headache schedules, as proven this week when um, we sort of both pulled out of this podcast recording at the same time due to both having migraines. Do you know what? It's still there. What happened, and I've never had a three-day migraine before, it was so stupid what happened was because... So during lockdown, like everyone else, I got really into yoga and Pilates and your friend of mine, Yoga Lattes. And... um, and then I saw a friend recently who I hadn't seen for about three months. And the first thing she said to me, she said, oh, like, your posture's really good. Like, what have you done? Because, partly because, 
I've spent the last two years writing a book, which we'll get onto, I'm sure, at some point. But And because I didn't write the book in any correct position that you're meant to write in, because it just never seemed to suit the sort of emotional temperature of what I was doing, I needed to be kind of like in a ball shape to write it. Anyway, so because I've fucked my back and shoulders writing, I was just all kind of like, you know, like a sort of question mark shape. So I've suddenly realised during lockdown, I, if I sort of stretch myself out, that I look better. So that night I decided, which is so kind of my ridiculous kind of addict brain, I thought, well, I don't want to just have good posture. I want to have like the best posture of anyone I've ever met. <laughs> so I went online and started doing kind of improve your posture exercises. And I stretched my neck. I did something to my neck that was too extreme, triggered a migraine. And it lasted for about two days. So yeah. I just feel like it's completely self-induced from trying to... So the, the terrifying, in conclusion, walking around with the correct posture has caused me so much pain. It's a dangerous game. Well, I mean, you did go for the greatest posture in England. So if yeah. you'd just gone in for Europe. sort of normal, solid posture, you probably, you know, maybe yeah. have a headache for 10 minutes. But you tried to... You reached... You basically flew too close to the sun. And now, it was like I couldn't, I couldn't just accept someone saying, oh, your posture looks good. I you decided, wanted right, a trophy. That's, it's like a wager <laughs> you put down. Good, you say. Uh, yeah. You need to say that's the best posture I've ever seen in my life. Well, my <laughs> migraine was also self-induced, but that's just because I got um, ludicrously drunk for no reason on Tuesday. On Zoom, alone in my house. I still think that's the more usual way of getting a migraine than my, than my way. It certainly Absolutely. wasn't competitive posture based. It's not something I've heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> um, fair enough. Well, uh, if I had to guess what you were like at school, Katie, and I do because it's the first yeah. part of the show. Um, here's what I've written. One word at first, skits. Now, I know that seems pretty basic because you've been a successful um, sketch performer professionally, but you do strike me as someone who did skits as a child. I reckon you had wigs in the house. I reckon you could do voices and accents, maybe impressions of family members or like local figures. I've got in my head the idea that maybe there was like a milkman or a vicar or something that everyone knew was a bit ripe for mocking, um, like in an impression or something. But adults thought it was too rude to do it themselves. But a kid doing it is innocent and therefore a perfect outlet. And I think that outlet that was lived vicariously through you. Um, at school, I'd say that meant you were a bit in a world of your own. I reckon you got you had a small, close friendship group who appreciated your talent and comedy characters, but you'd switch it off completely when people from outside groups were too close, which meant you never really harnessed it in assembly or in front of the whole year group in a performance, unless it was a school play where you hadn't written it. And then my guess is that you were probably head and shoulders above everyone acting-wise, but never made a fuss, so didn't get the main parts due to politics. Probably quite academic at specific subjects, and I can imagine you randomly just getting the best score in a subject no one's really passionate about, like RE or French. Is any of that correct? <clears throat> I got the best score in RE and maybe the oh. county. Oh, no way. Best posture, best RE in the county. <laughs> Which is weird, because I came from a very atheist household, it was really weird how good I was at RE. Are you winding um, me up? No. Are you serious? That, that's true. Yeah. You actually, you actually yeah. got the best score it's, in RE. Yeah, it's really weird. It's a bit like having a correct um, tarot read or something. It's, why, so why it's, are you not more um, amazed by the fact that I predicted that you got the best RE? You were amazing at RE. I think because I'm too freaked out and I'm containing how freaked out I am. <laughs> I, I mean, that is... I, I, look, a lot of yeah, the time really when, I, when I read these, I get, the, I get them pretty accurate. I get them pretty bang on. I've never said something as specific as that, and it's been that. I, yeah, I, I picked Ari at random. It was when it was when you started to say because I was to be honest, and a lot of it I was thinking no, but I could see how you'd think that, and I'll come on to that. But then when you got to that bit, and you said, "What did you say? Something no one else is passionate about?" Yeah, I said a academic at a specific subject and randomly getting the best score in a subject no one cares about. When you began that bit, I thought, oh. This feels too weird. And then when you when you said RE, I thought, no, this is this is. I mean, that yeah, is that's that's that has absolutely. I, I mean, I, I keep thinking you're just doing some um, improv on me, but but to to sort of level that, the rest of it's bollocks. Well, no, it wasn't bollocks. It was like, well, it's a tricky one because I was different. Depending on what age you're talking about, is I was very different in school. I didn't really blossom until sixth form, I'd say. So. I there were definitely skits like my parents were funny and could do impressions and were really kind of performative and big who would they do so, impressions of 
oh, like, who are they doing impressions of? You know, like my dad was always doing his Sean Connery. He kind of looked a bit like Sean Connery. He was a model in his youth. Wow. He, um, I know, I know. And yeah, they were really glamorous, my parents. And uh, they, who were they doing impressions of? Like local people, like you say, but also, so there were, there were wigs in the house. There was a lot of, there were skits. Um, but I was painfully shy uh, and, and extremely sort of sensitive. So outside of the house, I would tend not to speak a lot. It was kind of like selective mutism. Like there were some lessons I just decided not to speak in. And once I'd made the decision, for some reason, it just meant I couldn't speak. It was really kind of like black and white. So I was really quiet in school and just a bit overwhelmed. And I just thought it was so shit that you had to go every day. Like I went to the local comp down the road. It was just a lot of kind of, all I remember is like just disgusting colored tights and walking up concrete steps, like a lot. And, and I would just think, I can't believe I have to come here every day. It's kind of in a sort of small businessman's outfit and just walk around. (laughs) But I, despite that, like I, I was the first person from my family to go to university. Um, small friendship group, that's true. But then, yeah, I think I was just very quiet. And then at one point I was bullied. So then I was like really, you know, I was quite pathetic after that. It took me about a year to recover. But by the time I got to, by the time I was like 16, 17, that's when I met my proper best friends for life and still are. And then that was like an incredible time. And then I suddenly... Was it the same? Were you at the same school? Yeah. And it was only then that I thought I was funny. But I do remember when I was about seven, according to my parents, apparently I did an impression of Dennis Norden one Christmas time that was really infamous, (laughs) which is such a weird thing for a small girl to do an impression of. I sort of picked up a clipboard and did an impression of Dennis Norden. But I do remember doing a sketch... Uh, a blind date sketch in school that was in front of the whole school we had this thing in wales you would probably know being semi-welsh called the ice Deadfords. i'm gonna level with you i mean i barely know anything about wales i before this podcast recorded you were like you're welsh aren't you and then i sort of said yes i thought it would help. i mean i'm half welsh you, just but look I didn't... So, you look like every boy that went to my school basically. <laughs> really i mean do, but is that just because yeah. i still look like a boy at school or maybe it's that too. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, um, I just look like a young boy. Really? Is there a particular Welsh look? Yeah. Well, I'd say like dark hair, dark features. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, we had these things called, yeah, Ice Deadford, which was like a sort of mini arts festival that you'd have every year in school and everyone had to take part. And Compulsory. Everyone had to do like a performance. I, I think so. Or everyone had to do... Because obviously being a school in Wales, it always felt like, you know, if you were good at rugby, that was like really sort of praised and nothing else really mattered. That's the overriding feeling I remember. But what was quite good about Ice Deadfords was that it was things like song and poetry and clog dancing. And um, it was like quite kind of artsy. And uh, and you sort of everyone had to join in, like every class had to do something, which was quite good. So there was a lot of like... um, we always had these weird, we had these competitions where you'd have to like pretend you're in a, but you had to, you'd have to pick a song or pick a band and then just dress up as that band and mime along on stage in front of the whole school. And one year, this is really sad, actually. We did The Clash and I was the drummer. And the night before we were due to do this performance, my mum said to me, I said, I, I said I felt a bit sick, which was probably nerves. I was probably about a 12 or something. And she said something like, oh, you you look really pale, actually. Maybe you shouldn't go in tomorrow. And I just went, yeah, that sounds great. So I just didn't go in. And yeah. this other girl had to step in. And for some reason, it really haunts me because I had no sense of like, oh, that's going to really fuck everyone over for the performance tomorrow. It was like, do I stay home and, you know, eat chocolate with my mum or do I go to school I'll just stay home I was like that I would just get too nervous and then just immediately have an excuse to not do something but it's, yeah. it's like they say isn't it it's the it's the clash lip syncs you don't do that you regret the most on your deathbed <laughs> yeah. should I stay or should I go now yeah like, literally <laughs> when you so would then, do when you would do that though the lip sync thing so did you ever actually do it or was that the one year that you could have done it and then you sort of got too nervous that, no, I think the next year it was like I did something else. Oh no, the next year I did. We did a blind date sketch, 
and I did do an impression of Cilla Black that was quite famous in front of the whole school. And that was a real moment of going, oh my God, this is like, I can do this. This is a piece of piss. Did it give you status? Yeah, it got me attention for the foot. It's like I was noticed. I think because I'd been especially quiet, it was like no one was expecting to me, expecting me to then not just sort of do something, but do it in front of everyone. It's like that weird thing that performers have, isn't it? Where it's less scary to perform intimacy in front of a thousand people than to actually one-on-one sometimes say something to someone. Like the way that confessional stand-up feels somehow less terrifying than telling the one person. You know that thing with like so many stand-ups write, you know, they write about a breakup and perform it to everyone. But actually, when you talk to the person that they were in a relationship with, they're like, well, it wasn't like that. They're not this like Yeah, they're really closed off and they won't reveal anything. They're They're just writing in their little notepad and they're going off to their their basements. Yeah, (laughs) where it's actually like when you, they were really bad at like genuine one-on-one intimacy, but they can make a whole audience feel like, you know, they've just written it for you and it's really Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Comedians are famously bad communicators even though the job is communication. They just... Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all thinking, isn't it? It's all just thinking and then it's easy to retell it as a joke. Yeah, completely. And because you're in control of it. It's totally one-sided conversation. It's not a real risky conversation in real life. But I also remember this is really, really bad because my... So when my parents, like, um, they gave up their kind of dreams of acting when they've had kids, basically, so there was a weird thing going on where they were kind of slightly living vicariously through everything I did in a good way, but also in a slightly kind of weird way, because it's almost like you want to rebel and do something new and interesting. And and to me, it was a weird thing of feeling like I've just, it was like the family trade almost. But um, so both my parents went and worked like backstage in the theater when they gave up acting. But what it meant was that I was spending a lot of time like hanging around backstage theatres and like watching, you know, performers rehearse and this kind of thing. And I remember when school play started, I had this, it sounds so snobby, but I remember looking at it and thinking, nah, I'll wait. I'll wait till I'm doing it properly. Yes, like, I'm yes, all right. please. I'm, I'll save myself a Broadway. Yeah, it was literally like I would watch like 15 year olds do stuff and I'd think, nah, it's a bit... Not getting it's not, it's not great, that. is it? Like, I don't think I want to bother with that. Yeah, I think that that oh, that makes perfect sense. Of course, if you've never seen or done anything, you're quite happy at school to go. Oh my god! Yeah, of course we'll do this. There's like one light. This is amazing. Yeah. They've, they've printed out scripts and they've there's a hole punch. But if you've yeah, actually been completely. in a proper theatre and seen it, why yeah, would like you ever accept spoiled. that? Yeah, and it was really weirdly arrogant and I don't know where I got the confidence from but I just knew that I could sort of do it even though I'd never done it it was really weird like I used to act stuff out in my bedroom and I'd think oh that's really good well I just gotta wait another 12 years and then I'll like show someone (laughs) (laughs) and I also remember something else you can stop me if this is boring really weird about primary school in that on comic relief day we all had to kind of write a little note saying what we wanted to happen or maybe it was a few days before you wrote on a note like what I want on comic relief day is for you know all the teachers to dye their hair purple or something like that and I think I wrote something like I think all the teachers should have lunch pack lunch on the floor and all the students should get sit on the chairs or something so it got picked the headmaster was like looking back I feel like he was a bit obsessed with me which sounds really (laughs) weird because he maybe he's dead now so he i remember him reading out my one saying this is what we're going to do and then he said so what's going to happen on comic relief day is that you and i katie are going to have like a special lunch together and i remember thinking like that's not what i wrote like what (laughs) so then me so then this like take like romantic dinner for two was laid out on the stage in front of everyone and me and the headmaster had like a romantic lunch for comic relief isn't that fucking weird? And I remember at what one point he are you poured talking me, about? <laughs> he poured me some water out of like a decanter into a, into a wine glass, just water. And I said, "Hmm, I could get used to this." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that fucking 
weird. I mean, I've got a six billion questions. I mean, what are you? What the? First of all, I cannot believe that anecdote began with "Stop me if this is boring." It's oh, one yeah, of the sorry. most interesting and revealing anecdotes it's I've ever heard really in my weird. life. First of all, what I find mad is that the teachers are so devoid of inspiration; they're literally outsourcing <laughs> their skits. Um, secondly, I don't find it weird that your skit gets picked. But then, so you suggested th- this sort of role reversal. But it wasn't even a skit. It was just like, just what can we do? What yeah, do yeah. you want so to like, do? So why was it on a stage? But your thing was, the teachers eat like we eat and we eat like they eat, right? Yeah, because we, it and we everyone used to does eat it. on the disgusting floor with like peas rolling around. Sure. And so you just wanted to swap the roles and that was funny. It'd be funny to see adults sitting cross-legged having to eat lunch. Yes, um, precisely. And then he, that didn't happen. Yours got picked, but that didn't happen at all. And all that happened is you and the headmaster had a romantic dinner for two <laughs> on stage yeah. while the rest of the school watched. I think they ate their lunch too. But on but the they ground. Ate their lunch on the ground with everyone, like their heads turned towards us. And so you were like, so you saying I could get used to this is like you're, <laughs> is like he's a king and you're just now a young. His a, wife, a, his concubine. <laughs> it was like I'd been promoted from sitting on the ground squash to his water out of in his big glass and the fact that he had like a tea towel on his arm and poured me the water and I just remember going hmm I could get used to this and him laughing and um, looking back it's just very weird he had slightly too longer fingernails and you know it was really like possessive it was like he wanted to possess me did you go home and tell (laughs) your parents about that I don't remember doing that no I remember thinking I feel really uncomfortable and why am I on a raised platform having lunch with the adult, with the man with the beard? And uh, this, the, the main thing I remember is just the total confusion of, but that's not what I suggested. Um, so what writing have you brought? Like, so what era are we talking? What sort of stuff is the stuff that you're willing to share well, <clears throat> I brought in some poems. Some that I brought in. <laughs> yeah, sorry. This <laughs> like is yeah. We're not we're actually in. in a classroom. We're actually on stage having dinner, and um, I'm going to pour you a lovely glass of water in a minute, and you can get used to this as much as you like. <laughs> I get used to this. Um, oh God, it's so funny. Even one's even. <laughs> One's even called Ship Home That Took Literally Two Minutes. <laughs> That's how much I want the reader to know that I'm not even trying my best. <laughs> Don't even care. I didn't even revise. I, I, exactly. I think I was about 12. Okay. Or 13. So here's the thing. Like, I didn't come from a literary, you know, household. And in my school library, there was like a tiny poetry section that was like Roger McGough. Basically, I, I just hadn't didn't have access to, to good poems until I was about 17 when I got my Sylvia Plath on. But before then, I just literally thought Roger McGough was poetry. I remember Blake. I remember doing Blake for GCSE, and that was, like, quite a massive moment. But, yeah. So, so that, these poems, were I'm these saying. poems that you would have been made to write for school or something, or were they oh, no, your no, vibe, no, extracurricular? Like, I was a really... It was like an emotional outlet. I was a really emotional kid. And, uh, you know, quite sort of spiritual in a funny way, hence the RE. But I was quite kind of um, like I was really into mysticism and anything that was slightly esoteric and uh, like Buddhism. I was quite obsessed with when I was about 14. So I was sort of looking for answers, you know, Mm. but it wasn't that it wasn't like poetry was on my radar. It wasn't until. I got a lot older and I was like, oh my God, I didn't have the language to express this. But that is what I was feeling. Like, I had no idea that adults express this kind of stuff. I just thought it was, you know, me in my bedroom painting the walls sort of purple and being like, oh God, I have all this longing. Like, I I didn't know, you know, I just didn't have the means to sort of express it. But um, yeah, and I, I drew a lot and I was really into art and stuff. So there was always... Um, you know, I was quite poetic, but I didn't have any, you know, it's not like we had like loads of books. My parents, they're not thick. It was just that they had like, they had plays and stuff, which I definitely remember acting out bits of, you know, top girls and stuff. So they weren't, 
there was that angle. There was always sort of drama. Well, look, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to reading a poem influenced by Buddhism and nothing else. And no, no poetry. I mean, they, what, <laughs> it, they don't it make sense. Should I start with a funny poet. one? Yeah, when you say funny one, is it one that was aiming aiming to be funny as a 12-year-old? I don't know. They're all deadly, deadly, deadly serious. And that's the thing. They're about death and... Oh, lovely. You know, but there's just one which really made me chuckle because I don't know what it means. It's called Dear Carol Vorderman. <laughs> and it's just this. Dear Carol Vorderman, which is more important to you, maths or your face? Thanks for your time. <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> Unlucky Did Carol Vorderman. Get on Roast Battle. Get on Comedy Central's Roast Battle against Carol Vorderman and say, I wrote this when I was 12 and oh, nothing's changed. A, yeah. There's songs. I wrote songs quite a lot. Wow. Just lyrics? Um, yeah, just the lyrics. Oh, God, it's so cringe. I can't handle it. Okay, there's one called The Octopus Has Three Hearts. Yes, please. The Octopus Has Three Hearts. I swam to the bottom of the ocean where the raindrops cannot reach, but the pain rests deep in her all-night ball gown. A puddle floats by, her mouth full of bliss. I push by... I sink high, the thud of a heart and my eyes dart. The octopus cries, I only have three. I need one for loving and I need one for swimming. And the last one is just mean. Wow. Okay. I mean, I, the, the poem is um, deep and I no pun intended, but I don't understand what the hell that last word means. <laughs> one heart is for loving. Yeah. That makes sense. One is for the swimming. The other heart is for swimming. And the other heart is just a mean heart. Yeah, all right. I like it. It's <laughs> yeah, quite yeah, surreal. Yeah. I like there's some phrases in there that are very teenage poetry. All night ball gown, mouthful of bliss. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's some really... Oh, my God. Right, okay. This one is so cringe. <laughs> uh, and also, the other thing I should point out was that because I didn't, I hadn't really read any poetry, I thought poetry should rhyme. Oh, don't worry. I, I mean, there's many people who've come on this podcast or who listen to this podcast who would still argue it should rhyme. Yeah, yeah. That's not me. Yeah. Okay, this one starts. The house is a mess, but the kettle's on. Soon she'll get a visit from John. He's the man from 42. He likes Bob Dylan and he comes from crew. First blood <laughs> pressure and then he will take out his box of small red pills. Red ones first as he tilts her head back. This will calm you down. Now try and relax. She can't scream. She can't run away. She needs these pills to get through the day. That wasn't so bad, John reassures her, filling in his report, trying to ignore her. John's got to go. He reaches for his hat, not looking down, just missing the cat. She won't see him now until tomorrow. That's if she can find some hours to borrow. If she can try and look after herself without real care, without any wealth. Wow. Oh my god! What's it about? <laughs> What's it? What inspired that? I have no idea. John, forty-two I mean, from it. Crew, a carer by the sounds of it. Um, is that being too generous to say a carer? Yeah, it's it's. I have absolutely no idea, but I remember writing it. Red I really pills. Remember. What what do you remember about the uh, environment of you writing that? I just remember. Um, yeah, that I would spend time... I was quite good at being alone. I liked spending time in my room and um, I liked just being surrounded by all the, you know, my objects. And there was just always, you know, hours of happy creativity and it would be... It would either be drawing or painting or sort of like dancing about or acting stuff out or making stuff. I was always making stuff or, or writing. I just remember... Um, you know, just hours of like really contented creativity. And now it's like I can go for hours, I think. It's funny, like I, I think I have a shit attention span, but if it's something I care about, I can I can sort of go for hours. What um Which is good. Did you read would you have read any of these three poems so far to anyone? No, no, no. I think it was just like a purely private thing, an outlet. Okay. Shall I try another one? 
Yeah, I mean, we, what a range we've had so far. We've had Dear Carol Vorderman, we've had one about an octopus and three octopus hearts, and then we get on to John42 from Crew, comes and gives you red pills. There's, there's, a, there's a funny one, or a more serious one. I'm easy. Now, come on, let, why, don't we, why don't we compare and contrast? Let's do them both. Okay, this is quite good. This is called Personification. Through the method of personification, we do find the following information. The bogeyman is not a lot, but purely personification of snot. It's quite clever. Oh, is that the... That's it. Oh, great. It's Yeah, great. That's like a Spike Milligan. I mean, it's... Yeah. This is called um, Message for Gareth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is obviously to a boy... <laughs> Oh my god, it's so shit. Um, I don't understand. I need more. Everyone else looks and the message they understand is different to the transmission. No one is the same, so don't feel any less just because you're not loud or because you can't make people laugh. I know what you mean about sex. (laughs) (laughs) What? Oh my god. Just saying I know what you mean about it is so ridiculous. I know what you mean about sex. Things will get better. There are so many people who do what I do, but we need more of you. You laugh not because you think it's funny, but because you think you should. And it's not right that being flippant brings you friends. You're wrong. You'll see it soon. The end. Oh, my God. Gareth. I mean, first of all, of course, you went to school in Wales. This person is called Gareth. Secondly, I mean, there's so much in that. It's so confusing where you're coming from. At first, Fucking it seems like you're saying you're not giving me enough, like he's going to be a brick wall. But then he seems like this really polite guy who's like laughing because he's, you know, it's courteous. But you are really against it. And then you still like no one is the same. It's fine to be this person. But then you're like, you'll see soon. You're wrong. You're wrong to be this person. <laughs> and in the middle of all that, I know what you mean about sex. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best bit. What did he mean? What did he mean about sex? No, I don't remember. <laughs> it's such a funny opening. Like, you know what? I know. I was thinking what you said yeah. the other day, and I know what you mean about sex. It's, it's good means so many things. It's so intriguing. I know what you mean about sex. Oh God, I'm desperate to know what he Probably, said about sex that you suddenly I don't, realized. Well, I mean, no, I true, definitely actually. would have. And also at that age when you're a virgin, yeah. Gareth, just want to let you know, I know what you mean about sex. <laughs> you're bang on, actually, Gareth. You're dead right. And I say that from experience, <laughs> I swear. Probably that it was like some weird, mysterious thing, is what I imagine. Oh, I don't know. It's so bad. I wish I could remember more. I mean, looking at it, what I really feel is that it's a bunch of sort of platitudinous things where you're trying to be grown up and you don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, I th- I would agree with that. Having done um, a series and a half of this show now and reading out a different poem of mine on every single one, it's all pretty yeah. pretty empty. I mean, it's all yeah. just words I've kind of maybe heard with like yeah. three degrees of separation and then I just make them try and rhyme. But ultimately, utter yeah. dribble. Well, all I remember is like the seriousness and the intensity and the kind of which is quite quite sweet because it's so hard to keep it, that feeling of um, I'm really going to capture something like here and now on the page and it's really important that I do. Really? Did you have that? You had that feeling at the time? Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember how seriously I took it at the time of um, like a feeling, I suppose, of I've got so much to say. And I've got so much sort of feeling that if I don't get this down, then it's lost forever. <laughs> like, the, it's just really important that I write this right now. Well, of course, because you th- you are the person who in French thought, soon you'll hear me roar. <laughs> so, of course, you <laughs> thought, well, I need to put this down now because this is gold. No, don't, don't waste this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely it's... don't regret the fact I wrote so much poetry and stuff as a kid because it's... Uh, it's interesting to look back on, but I certainly didn't at the time think I need to get this down now because in future, uh, yeah, maybe there was more. Maybe there was elements See, I... of thinking someday when someone's writing a biography on me, they can use this. But uh, I yeah. don't think I thought oh, this is important now. 
I just would have thought at the time um, this is genius and I am as I am as great as I will ever be because no one can be greater than this is what I would have thought <laughs> I didn't write a lot I said I think that I got into writing much later but I think it's because yeah I think I was more into art I was more kind of visual person and I didn't feel like, um, like it's not, we didn't have an inspirational English teacher or anything like that. It was just dry, boring. I just thought it was really boring. But now it's like, you know, well, I mean, it's weird now writing a book. It's, I couldn't imagine not reading and I couldn't, and I feel like I read more than ever. And it's, but I feel really like I've educated myself quite late in life on actually what's, what I like in terms of reading. Have you written any um, adult poetry? I'm not going to ask you to read it. Well, I, uh, well, the honest, I feel like it's too pretentious to tell the truth, but that's just, that's just immature. I love, what I love now is, I actually really like prose poetry. And I would say that some of the chapters in my book are more of an attempt at prose poetry so that's the closest I've got to it, I'd say, as an adult. I don't think I've actually sit down and written a proper poem, though. No. Yeah. But sometimes when I'm writing prose, it's like if I just let... It's like I can just slip into a slightly different way of thinking about it where I stop thinking, is this funny? And I, I kind of start listening to it and the rhythm of it. And I get really... Uh, yeah, like... But I have to be in that mood. I have to be in that really sincere mood. Uh, and it depends what the subject matter is as well. And have you um, written any uh, poetic messages to men to tell them that you agree with their opinions on sex? As an adult. <laughs> what, as an adult? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh I suppose text God. messages. You no. know what? I was thinking, what you said the other day about sex is bang on. Anyway, I know what you mean about sex. <laughs> happy 39th birthday. <laughs> I say it straight after now. I know yeah. what you mean about that sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, actually. That yeah. we just had. <laughs> that was a bit weird. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. Um, okay. Well, it comes to the time now, Katie, where I must score your work uh, out of on three different categories. Those categories are, as always, originality, pure teen horniness, and the Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score, which is uh, how much potential does it show for um, what I now know you to be? Does it show the future star, the same style? So first of all, originality. Well, look, I've got to give you points for the sheer versatility of what you just read to me because there's a whole okay. load of stuff going on in there. Not n- None of those are like the other. I mean, you, yeah. the wait, closest wait you can get. Wait for the last one. Oh, really? What, for the big finale? Okay. I've saved the best to last. Dear I Carol have Vorderman. Said that. Does that give it away? That, well, you know, it's, you're building your own hype there. But, you know, we've got to keep people listening. We want that engagement rate. <laughs> if we're going to get that ad money. Um, so, dear Carol Vorderman and um, a message to Gareth are the only things that I think in any way connect. The bogeyman... Um, personification poem is completely different to all the rest and it's a bit Spike Milligan. Can I also just say about that poem, it genuinely feels like I've copied it down from somewhere else. I bet if I Googled it now... Yeah, it belongs to someone. And I haven't, but... Well, okay. Yeah, maybe it was I think me. you've got range because you've got that, you've got the, the bogeyman poem, which sounds like Spike Milligan, um, but in an original way. You've got John 42 from Crew which sounds almost like the subject matter is almost like Larkin, but it's written much more jovially. Dear Carol Vorderman is like a little roast. Um, and then Octopus Heart is completely different to all of them. And so is the message to Gareth. So I've got to give it a basic, I'm going to give four out of five for originality. Great. Um, because I I, yeah, there's just so much range. Pure teen horniness. Well, I must say it was pretty low until. <laughs> I know what you mean about sex. <laughs> I don't think I'd have got... I really would have struggled to find any it's horniness so in any like of them until... banal. It doesn't give away good or bad feelings. <laughs> you randomly... Th- it doesn't feel particularly horny, to be honest. It just feels a bit like you're bluffing. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I'll go, so I'll go three... Just because it mentions it, I'll go three out of five. But I'm horniness. too young. It's too young for horniness. Yeah. I think I was about 12. Well, there we go. Three out of five, just because you mention it and it's like you're keen to just acknowledge to Gareth. Yeah, I'm also yeah. aware of the word sex. <laughs> um, 
and Mickey yeah. Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Gooseclaw. Now, I can't say any of this reflects massively what I know your work to be today. But no. anecdotally, a lot of what you said, I mean, matched with what I imagined. I mean, there were skits. Bogeyman. I mean, there's an element of Bogeyman where you're like, well, you know, it checks out comedically. It's a laugh. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an absolute laugh. It's, it's a It's an hoot. absolute giggle a minute, that, that poem. <laughs> Carol Vorderman poem as well. It's just a gag. It's got a punchline. The Bogeyman's got a punchline. Exactly. Set up punchline. Carol Vorderman's just a gag. So I will go ooh, three out of five for that. So that is 10 out of 15. That is a very respectable early work score. And now I will read you something of mine to level the playing field, of course. And this... How old were you when you wrote this? I don't know 100%, but there's another poem in this book which references um, waiting until I'm 18. So I would guess 17. If, I was that, if I'm was, if i obsessed course, with like, turning 18, I must be 17, right? Yeah, that makes sense. The younger you are, the, the more of excuse one has if it's, if it's shit. Oh, big time. Because then you can and be I, like, oh, you know, imagine imagine me at 17, a genius. Oh, I've got some uh, like, I've got some poems from when I'm like 24 that I'm eventually going to have mm. to read out because I've got nothing left on this show and I am dreading it. There's some that reference the city yeah. I was in when I was at university, which... Uh, yeah. Ugh. Because it's like when you hear like, you know, like that George Harrison song that he wrote when he was 24. Yeah. Within you, without you. Like when you hear that and you think 24... You think, yeah, there's no excuse. Yeah, yeah, you need to be, yeah. Uh, okay, so here we go, 17. <clears throat> Our lives are a one-liner of time. The waiting game, not a favourite to play of mine. I wait for your face on a calendar that doesn't have a start or finish. My dreams repeat, then pick up speed among the minutes we diminish. Quick, I forget. Are we together yet? Are we destined for romance? Are we fated another missed chance? Empty arms, excuse for happiness? Because alone we can't achieve what I believe to be the secret. I hope I'm not wrong. But with you, my smile's not temporary for long. There we go. It's quite Alan Partridge. (laughs) It feels like it would be an eye partridge. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I mean, I can't argue with that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Especially... The time bit, I could really hear it. Yeah, our lives. Yeah, yeah, our lives are a one-liner of time. I mean, it's yeah, it's exactly. Well, it feels like it would be in the Oast House, like his attempt mm. at poetry. He's got deep in the Oast House and decided to write. Our, our lives are a one-liner of time. I mean, uh, that can't mean anything, surely. A one-liner of time. It's just that uh, they don't no. even. I mean, I like the using of the one-liner. As a, you know, as a metaphor. How about, um, I wait for your face on a calendar that doesn't have a start or finish. It feels a bit derivative, I guess. (laughs) I liked, are we, are we going to, what did you say? Are we going to be together yet? Quick, I forget. Are we together yet? (laughs) (laughs) That's very, like, American somehow. Um, I mean, a calendar without a start or a finish. What's that? Just a picture book? I wait for your face. That's just numbers. numbers. Yeah, that's just numbers. And waiting for your face on it. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, I was clearly going through a time. Also, interestingly, the pen changes halfway through this poem. So, um, oh, wow. Clearly, that's quite significant. I had to get it out and was like, fuck, this has run out. Can you remember who you were writing about? Yeah, I mean, it's between two. And um, it didn't work out. And we're getting married next week, so uh, you know these are my vows. <laughs> you mean it's between two people? It's or at that age, it's between two different people. But there's one that it's almost definitely. Oh, okay. Especially with line, so wasn't... lines like "I quick, I forget, are we together yet?" There was one person who I wrote countless things like this about, right. so and there occasionally was like showed one obsession. Yeah, yeah. I I um, I remember like a therapist saying to me once that um, when we were talking about longing and. She said something really good, like, you know, no art would have been made without, well, things that were made, you know, no art would have been made without longing or something. I know, but I think you can agree that this wasn't worth it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think anyone's looking at that going, yeah, I know, I know you went through that pain, but look what came out of it. (laughs) Do you ever feel like you're still doing stuff to impress one person in the world? Yeah, largely, though, it's changed from like... um, you know, people I fancied when I was changes. younger is changed to people yeah. who've wronged me professionally. Mm. It's now revenge. It, before it was like 
and what you don't love me well this will make you love me and now it's a bit more like here's how wrong you were not to book me for the thing i wasn't ready for at the time <laughs> i sometimes have a thing even now like not so much now but when i first went on twitter there was like some particular people that if they liked it i'd be like oh fine thank god oh uh, really what you, it would yeah. justify the tweet I would be, I would sort of think, well, I kind of wrote it for them. So yeah. I'm glad they've seen it and I'm glad they liked it because that that's all I'm, you know, that's what I've decided to pin all my self-esteem on, just that one Well, this action. is the opposite. If the person I wrote this poem about um, heard this poem at the time, I think I would have been distraught. Yeah. But I need you yeah. to score I've... it now. Oh, sorry. On the same category. So the first one is originality um... out of five. It feels a little, uh, yeah, it, it feels uh, maybe a bit typical of teenage poetry to me. Sorry, no offence. Hey, look, I'm I can take I'm it. I'm going to go three. I think you're being generous there. I don't think you believe that three is the right number, but I'll take it. Okay. Um, pure teen horniness. Yeah, quite high. I mean, it was quite, the, I'd say it was, um, it was... It was kind of sexually subtle. <laughs> Thank you. But the longing was there. <laughs> I know what you mean about sexual, sexually subtle poetry. Yeah, yeah, of course you um, do. Gareth told you about it. I would say... Actually, it wasn't that... Maybe, like, maybe four. Okay. If horniness and, like, longing are similar... Yeah, it's quite... Um, the same thing. It's more sort of, like, romantically desperate... Yeah. ...than out-and-out out sexual, I suppose. Yeah, but it takes quite a lot of confidence to write a poem like that when you're a teenager, I think. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, and it certainly wasn't sexual confidence. No, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, who's, who's, yeah, who's writing sexually confident? <laughs> sexually poetry? confident teenage poetry is possibly the genre Volume one. I, I want to see the least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'll release at the end of this. <laughs> I know what mine would be. I know what you mean about sex. Yeah. Um, Mickey Mouse Club score, which is just, you know, how much potential does it show? How close is it to the vibe now? It's been a while since I've seen your stand-up. <laughs> Maybe it's changed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> um, yeah, but it shows like linguistic skill and, you know, intelligence and observation of the world around you i'm gonna go sort of four and it, it's <laughs> okay. confident it's a it's a voice it's a confident voice okay it might not be the same but i think uh there's enough know. in there you think yeah that absolutely. it's not a shock okay cool so uh that means my score is 11 out of 15 what was mine again 10 oh so okay. um technically i win 11 Forget 10 but no but the message of this podcast as always is that there's no winners we're both losers And now that just brings us to the final bit where your much hyped final piece that we will put a soundtrack underneath, um, which you did build up. Yeah, I don't know why. Also, one last thing I'd like to say, which I've noticed about a lot of these poems, is that I write the end at the end on all of them, which uh, I think is quite really? sweet. Okay. I wonder what... They've all got the end written down the bottom. Like I think it's what you meant. It's like... Yeah, it's like for years and years and years, I thought Anon was like Aesop. Like when I saw a poem and it said Anon, <laughs> I was like, Anon's written so much. Yeah, of course. I mean, why as a kid would you think that was short for anonymous? You would just think... Yeah. Of course, So yeah. I similarly wrote the end at, at the end of everything. Well, hang on. Are you saying that that's the same and you thought that there was an author called The End? No, no. No, and like, it was your you know, moniker that you were going the edge. by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the edge, great poem. Yeah. Um, so no, I just find it funny. So what's this one called? It's called "Why Are You Crying." Great. Uh, why are you crying? Can you not see that it is too late for hypocrisy? So I've done that. Deny your feelings and hide behind truth. Talk to your body, your body, your proof. The dead are for dying. <laughs> I love that line. The dead are for dying. A mask makes no scream. Talk to your dreams, talk to your dreams. Then run away laughing, every sight, every sound. 
You are the fox. They are the hound. The end. Oh, and that's such a good poem by the end. I love the my favourite yeah. author of the end wrote that amazing poem about the fox and the hound. My favourite part. <laughs> you are the fox. They are the hound. Is my is my favourite bit. Um, some absolutely mad lines in there. Your body, your proof. It's... Is this some? Um... I mean, that feels pretty relevant. This is lyrics, right? This has it to be lyrics. Very... Hashtag me too. Um, th- th- I'm disappointed how little sense it makes. But you know that's the that's the classic thing, isn't it? Of someone who doesn't know how to write is that you write things without clarity. And even some of my favourite poetry now, at first glance, may seem obscure, but I think becomes really clear when you pay close attention. But this, well, maybe in a few, know, maybe in in you know a hundred years, someone will find this and go, "Oh my God, the dead are for dying." I know exactly what she means. <laughs> I know what you mean about the I dead. Know actually, it means, like for <laughs> dying, or like they're you know they for it, as in they approve, they support it, it yeah. <laughs> or are they? That's like their their purpose. Oh well, no, the dead. Oh yeah, they're for dying. They're for like, dying. They approve of dying. A mask makes no scream is actually quite decent because it's true makes no sound yeah and it couldn't be more relevant for our current times what i'm seeing here isn't it is totally uncomfortable with the very surreal which is you know which is true of today and i think you're frightened of it (laughs) (laughs) and i'm less frightened of the surreal imagery it's very much it's like really pushing metaphor squeezing metaphors into one thing i swear to god if you copied and pasted that and put it on twitter and said i've just found this anne sexton poem everyone would believe (laughs) believe you there we go katie wicks there and she knows what you mean about sex by the way whirlwind of an episode i mean i was pretty furious for a week at how she reacted to my re guess I guessed that she was amazing at a subject that no one cared about and then arbitrarily chose RE and it turns out she got the best RE grade in the county. I mean, it's the genuinely, it's the first time I've actually freaked myself out with one of those guesses. The rest of them, they're easy. I just look at them and I just go, you probably like that. And then sometimes I say things that are vague enough, like a horoscope, and they're pretty bang on. That one was so specific and she didn't even care. What's the point? I mean, honestly, if comedy never recovers, I'm going into full-time psychology. Is there a market... For that, do you think for that kind of therapy where patients come in and just you just go up, 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 don't tell me, let me guess, and then you get it right, and then you don't solve any problems that came from it? There probably is a market for that. As ever, please do rate the podcast, leave us a review, and tell your birth mother when you finally track her down about this the best podcast. Goodbye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.